0: So far in this series, we've talked about why. We've asked a lot of questions. Hopefully we've answered some questions, but like I said in two of the sermons, there's no way I could give definitive answers to the questions. I could give you biblical ideas, biblical truths about what was said, but no definitive answers. We ask, why don't I always feel God? Why don't I always feel God's presence? Why are there times in life where we just don't seem to know or realize God's there? Then we ask, why didn't God answer my prayer? You know, we prayed, we prayed, and we prayed, but we didn't get the answer we thought or the answer we wanted. Why didn't God answer my prayer? Last Sunday, we talked about why do bad things happen to good people. You know, uh, it happens all the time. And this morning, I want to look at why would God use me? Why would God use us? I did not attend any Ivy League schools. Was never graduated as a cum laude. I came a lot later in that list. I'm not a founder. I'm not a CEO. I sit on no boards. I'm not a trustee. I've not ever received any honorary degrees or doctorates. I've never been named most influential or even the most attractive. I know that's hard to believe. Never been listed as one most likely to succeed. I've not written any New York bestsellers. I've had no public endorsements. I have no letters after my name. I don't speak on any circuits. I've never given any TED Talks. I have been a keynote speaker no less than once. That's zero, okay? No buildings, no streets, no hospitals have been named after me. I really don't have an impressive family tree or family background. Didn't come from a long line of important people, but I want you to know this. That's okay. It really is. It's really okay. Why? Because simply, God is unimpressed by my resume. See, God doesn't care I have nothing after my name. I remember at one time, I used to be able to put Kurt, EMT, paramedic, chaplain, firefighter, master's of ministry, all of those things. But you know why all of those things come back to one thing? I'm just Kurt. I'm a child of God. Hopefully I'm a servant. He said that God sneers at any attempt by anyone who tries to prove their worthiness. You know, I do this so people see me as worthy. And I think it's a waste of our time. You see, our accomplishments do not justify our existence in this world. God is not impressed by the list of readers that we have on our Facebooks or our retweets or our friends or our connections or our admirers, okay? God's not impressed by that. But I truly believe this this morning. That I truly believe that God wants to use us to do something significant. I think God wants to use you to do something. Something significant for him. But we ask, why would God use me? Why would God want to use me? What do I have to offer? What do I have to do to do these things? Why would God want to use me? Yesterday I went to a conference at Lincoln. I didn't decide to really go until actually Saturday morning uh, when I woke up. I told Sandra I probably leaped between 7, 7.30. I woke up about 6.30 and was sitting kind of there thinking, do I want to go, do I don't want to go. I'm already tired. It's an hour and a half drive, you know, but I decided to go, and I went. I'm glad I did. One of the speakers brought up a point, and I thought, man, that is so true because I think God wants to use us. God wants us to do something significant for him, and the, one of the speakers, Chuck Sackett, said this. What would we do if we knew it was somebody's last day on this earth, what would we do? What would we be willing to do? You know, I thought back, you know, last Sunday we preached on, I preached on, what well, do you bad things happen to good people? And this, this week, Del and Becky's and Janet's granddaughter was killed in an accident on 74. And I'm, I'm, truth, it took my breath away. You know, we started getting some information and some calls, and I'm going, man. And then on february 14th on valentine's day found out a friend of mine 66 years old minister friend died on the operating table and i'm going man and you know i got to thinking about that question what would we be willing to do if i knew it was somebody's last day What would I be willing to do if I knew a child would die tomorrow? Would I be willing to step up and teach Sunday school? Would I be willing to step up and do something to reach them? Would I be willing to take a step of faith and actually say, God, use me to reach this child or an adult or neighbor? What would we be willing to do? And I think we have to ask ourselves that question. What am I willing to do? How am I willing to allow God to use me to reach somebody else? And I know what it means to work with kids. I understand that. They're rough. They're unruly. I understand that. But another thing that was said at this conference yesterday, and I promise I'll get into the sermon was Lincoln has this motto that simply says, if you send us crystal, we'll polish crystal. If you send us glass, we'll polish glass. And I got to thinking about that. I thought some of these kids that come to our church, and even some of the adults that come to this church, they've got rough edges. They really do. And when we get those kids, are we willing to take time to knock off the rough edges a little bit, to polish the corners just a little bit, to send them back into this world just a little bit different week after week after week. Are we willing to do that? Chuck Sackett was one of my preaching professors. In fact, it was in his class. I was preaching a sermon. After I got done, David Rokup, another great speaker, uh, was sitting in class when I had to preach, talking about being nervous. And I was told by David Rokup that I need to change my mind degree from youth ministry to preaching and that's when I did but Chuck was saying that when he came to church for the first time his family never been to church in fact he got mad at a friend for going to church on Sunday nights at six o'clock because at 10 till six the baseball games were over and he says I started following him to church thinking how crazy is that he goes then I went to church the first time just walked into church after playing baseball shorts no shirt He goes, I didn't put a shirt on going to church until the weather made me put a shirt on. And he said this, and I I thought how true it is. How many of us would allow that little boy to come to our church, to come to our youth group without a shirt on? Without telling him, you can't do that anymore. And now his grandson is graduating from Lincoln, third generation preacher, because somebody was willing to polish the edges What are we willing to do? What are we willing to allow God to do in our life? Have you ever felt that way? We ask you to do something, and God asks you to do something, and we say, I just don't know enough Bible to do that. I don't have great talent to do that. Yeah, I would like to do that, but I still get angry. I still lose my temper. Occasionally, I have doubts. Can I tell you something? There's not a day or a week goes by I don't have doubts. It's true that I doubt that I can do this. I'm no spiritual giant. Man, you don't know my past. Man, I messed up big time in my past, so I can't do anything now. Have you ever felt that way? If you have, feel okay because you're like a lot of people in the Bible. Trust me. First thing I want you to see is this. God will use your weakness and obscurity for his glory. God will use that very weakness that we use as an excuse in the obscurity that we think we have for his glory. The text we read in Isaiah chapter 40, which says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever so i think we need to be reminded again and again over and over that we are like this grass i mean grass is pretty much disposable it's temporary it's fleeting it's momentary but here we are once at one point and then we're gone again we have to use one life that we have and in that usefulness We have to do what God wants us to do. And that one life depends not on our resume. It doesn't depend on how much we know. It depends on what we will allow God to do in us. When you look at the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 3 and chapter 11, there's a king by the name of King Solomon. And this king, he had it all. I mean, if this was a man who had everything wrapped up, he had wisdom, he had wealth, he had fame, he had power. Solomon was given a one mind like no one ever before and none anything like after him. In 1 Kings 3.12, it says he was a brilliant poet, he was a skillful songwriter, he was a genius botanist, he was a first-class biologist, it tells us. And he was an exalted and successful king. So when you kind of look at King Solomon and you look at what all he's done, he's kind of the Da Vinci and the Einstein and the Bach and the Jordan and the Augustus and the Shakespeare all rode into one superior person. Okay, man, he had it. He had it all put together. Yet Solomon, in 1 Kings 11, it tells us Solomon turned away from God. And you wonder how in the world can a guy who had it all together, having all the wisdom in the world, that tells us, didn't guarantee devotion to God. You see, he had wives, plural. And God said his wives weren't allowed to worship other gods. Well, King Solomon started allowing them to do just that. And when you read 1 Kings, it actually says, God tells Solomon, you've done all these things, so I'm taking your kingdom away and I'm giving it to the lower people. Because he couldn't obey. Don't get me wrong. He had the wisdom. He had everything that he needed. Understand, wisdom is important. I get that. Because it says in the Bible, if we lack wisdom, we should ask God for it. But just because you have all the wisdom, you can have all the doctors, you can have all the honoraries, you can have all these things, still doesn't make us completely useful for God. You see, it doesn't matter if you have theological theology degrees or if you've mothered 15 children, happy children? Does it make a difference if you started 501c3s to feed the hungry or end trafficking? Understand, God is unimpressed by us being creative. He doesn't care if we're innovative, effective leaders. That's insufficient. And you know what, we might make others proud, but understand this, God yawns at that kind of stuff. He says, yeah, that's, that's nice. But that's not everything that we need to do. You see, it doesn't make us anything more in the eyes of God. We are His children. He loves us and He wants us to serve Him. Another story in the Old Testament in Judges chapter 6 Gideon. And here's Gideon. He should have been doing great things for God, but he's hiding in uh, Joshua chapter 6, he's hiding from the Midianites. And what he's doing, and it's telling him he's hiding, because he's in a wine press, so he's in a hole threshing wheat. Okay? He's scared. He's scared what's going on. And Jesus says, the people did what was right in their own eyes. Okay, so they're not listening to God. They're doing what they think is right, what they think they should be doing. They're not doing what God wants them to do. Now they've been taken over. Now Gideon is in a hole threshing wheat. Understand In Jesus' day, when they threshed wheat, they did it in the wide open. What they would do is they would take it and they'd throw it in the air. The chaff would blow away. The good stuff would fall to the ground. They did this enough. All the chaff was blown away. But if you're in a hole, what's not there? The wind's not there. So they're not doing, he's not getting really anything done. He's there because he's scared. Now you can press wine down there and it's a good place to do it. No big deal. But that's not what he's doing. He's hiding because he's scared. And what it tells us is this. A lot of times people do what they're not supposed to do because they're scared. We don't do what God wants us to do because we're scared. Why? I'm not going to teach junior high boys. They scare me. Yeah, Okay, good excuse. No, it's not. Oh, I can't do this because I don't have time. I can't do this because if I did this, I'd have to give something else up, even though it's something God wants us to do. But listen to what he says. I mean, he's actually telling us people are not supposed to thresh wheat in a hole. Gideon's fear has taken hold of him. Yet an angel comes to Gideon on the threshing room floor and says this, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior catch that. He's hiding. He's scared. And the angel says, the Lord is with you. If the Lord is with us, and Gideon's probably thinking this, okay, I get that. God is with me. But if God is with me, why did all this happen? Why am I here doing what I'm doing? Where are his wonders? Why am I suffering? Why is my people suffering? We're the smallest of groups, and we're scared. Listen to what it says in Judges 6, 14 and 15. It says the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Listen, is what God says. Am I not sending you? But catch what Gideon says in verse 15. But Lord, you know what that means, don't you? There's an excuse coming. But God, I there's an excuse coming. He does. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I have the least in my family. Excuse. And God is saying, I am sending you. I'm doing this for you. So the question is why would God use someone like me? But what I want to look at this morning is this why does God, who does God most often use? Are you ready for this? Number one, God uses the insecure. God uses the insecure. Exodus 4.10, talking about Moses. Listen to what Moses says. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He stuttered. He goes, I can't do it, God. Maybe you're saying I'm not an outgoing person. Maybe you're going to say I'm too young, I'm too old. Maybe you're going to say... I don't like crowds. I can't get up in front of people. I don't have a lot of confidence. Great. I don't have confidence to do what you're asking me to do, God. understand that's okay. Because there's a made-up word that I've been questioned about twice already. Because what we have and what we need is more confidence. Because God is sending us. God is with us. If God is telling you in your heart and in your mind that you need to do something, God will allow you to do it. Not confident in yourself? That's okay. God is confident in you. I can guarantee you there were times in my life, in my ministry, and like I said, there's probably not a day or a week that goes by where I sit and scratch my head going, can I really do this? I remember one of the first times I was on an ambulance by myself. And I didn't even have a certified driver. So it was just me. Got a call for a chest pain. And I knew what I was supposed to do, but I also knew if I gave certain drugs that wasn't supposed to go with this and that, I could do more harm than good. You know, but what you do is you just suck it up, buttercup, and you do it. And then you review it, and then you do it all over again. Don't have confidence? Okay, God is with you. God knew what he was doing when he made you. God knew what he wanted. Exodus 4, 11 and 12 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Who gave man his mouth? Is it not I, the Lord, he says? Catch verse 12. He tells Moses, now go. No excuses, just go. I will help you speak and I will teach you. What to say. Now go. Folks, maybe it's to lead, maybe it's to serve, maybe it's to minister, maybe it's to do something you've never done before, but understand God will help you, God will teach you. Get some confidence in your life because God wants us to do these things. The second kind of person God uses this morning is God uses the unlikely. So I want you to understand he'll use the most unlikely person. So if you're the smartest, the funniest, the most talented, the best athlete, understand this, God can still use you. Okay? Even though you're all those things, but he prefers to use ordinary people like us. God specializes in using those who a lot of people overlook. I was at that conference yesterday and there's probably 5 to 600 people there. And I spoke to both speakers because the one speaker is going to be at camp tomorrow night for the men's meeting from California, at Lincoln, Illinois, resident all of his life, but he's in California now. And Chuck Sackett is in Quincy, Illinois, both in churches of well over a thousand. But you know, we stood there and talked to one another just like nothing else. And you know, I got to thinking all the things they do at East Side in California I thought about all the things they do in Quincy, and I'm thinking, you know what? They do a lot of great things, but I also know the job we have to do right here in our community. Yeah, I know we're a church in the middle of the country. We're in the middle of a bunch of cornfields. I know the preacher talks to cows all the time because that's my neighbor. You know, that's who I have to talk to. But you know what? We have a job to do and he's going to use the unlikely you see God sent Samuel to anoint the future king of Israel at the house of Jesse a couple of perfect prospects that he goes before and they're older they're handsome it says they're strong they're mature he says this in first Samuel sixteen six and 7 he says Samuel saw Elab and said, "Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord, but the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not consider His appearance or his height." He says, "For I have rejected them. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the hearts. Right here. You see, Samuel was looking for the obvious, but God chose the unlikely. You know, I don't know what it is God has for each and every one of us. I don't know what God is wanting us to do, for sure, as individuals. But I know God has something for us. The third one is this. The third kind of person God uses is the broken. Any of the disciples thought, most of them thought they were ready to be used. You know, They, they thought they were ready to go. I mean, look at Peter. We love using Peter, because he's a good example, and he's also a bad example. I mean, here's Peter. He was the one that was always out front. He was always leading the charge. If something was said, man, he was first to answer. And Peter even says, Jesus, I've got your back. Man, he says, Jesus, I'll stay with you. Peter says, no matter what, Jesus, man, I'm there for you. In fact, he strikes other people. He does all this stuff and Jesus says now Peter you got to stop this he goes I know you're with me and even though Peter promised even though Peter sat at Jesus feet you remember the story as Jesus was being walked along and it was time for the crucifixion and Peter's with the crowd and what happens three times I don't know him I don't know Jesus And when that third time happened, and you've heard me say this before, and it had to break Peter's heart, but I think it also broke Jesus' heart, because I don't know if there was a distance, I don't know if they could see each other, but in my mind, I picture Peter over here around the fire And when the person asks, don't you know him? Weren't you with him? And Peter says for that third time, no, I don't know who he is. And then Peter hears the rooster crow. And for some reason in my mind, I see Peter and Jesus connecting eyes, and I see Jesus' heart just break at Peter. Peter, you said you'd be with me. Peter, you said you'd have my back. Peter, you said that no matter what, man, I'm right there. But now you say, I didn't know you. Folks, understand this. Most of us are broken at some point or another. None of us are perfect. But I want you to understand, when you look at Peter's story and you look at other stories, when you look at Peter's story, no one messes up bigger than Peter did. Denying Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. That's a huge mess up. And you're looking at yourself and you say, well, I can't teach the Bible because of something. Well, maybe I'm divorced. Maybe I lose my cool. Maybe I battled an addiction in the past. Maybe I'm in financial trouble. Maybe I've just blown it in life. So, how can God use me? And I think Peter, standing over here, sitting over here by the fire, and he looks over to Jesus, and they connect. And Peter probably goes, "I'm done. There's no more I can do." I just denied my Lord. He thought he was wiped up. I think he thought his days of serving was over. But understand this. After the resurrection, you remember what happens? Jesus forgives Peter. And guess who God chose? Guess who Jesus chose to preach the greatest and biggest sermon in the New Testament at Pentecost? Peter. The guy who denied him three times. The guy who let him down. The guy who made the promises but failed. Jesus said, you preach Pentecost. Peter, insecure, unlikely, a broken disciple. But get this, no one better to preach forgiveness than the one who'd been forgiven. That's huge. Folks, I'm telling you right here, right now, God has you in this place for a reason. God has you in this place for a season. Yes, you may be broken. Yes, you may be wondering, why could God use you? Why in the world would God want to use me? And it's simply because God loves to use the insecure, the unlikely, and the broken. And folks, I'm guaranteeing you that's every one of us. So what does God want to do through you? Very quickly, you have to step out and find out. You have to step out and find out. In other words, I'm going to do it like they they did at the conference yesterday. The speakers just said, I'm saying it. You got to get out of the pews and you got to do something. Get out of the pews and do something. It's that easy. Yeah, I know you may not know what you're doing. That's okay. You may think, I don't know enough the Bible to be able to teach. That's okay. You may be sitting here and saying, I can't get in front of crowds. I can't do this. I can't do that. That's okay because God says you can because God is with you. You see, here in a couple weeks, March 3rd, we're going to do a ministry fair type of thing. We're going to have soups and sandwiches. All of our ministry teams are going to have booths, and You can go around and talk to them and kind of see what we do and see what's happening. And you can help with these groups and these ministry teams and get involved and do all those things that's what this is about but see what i want you to do in the next two weeks i want you to be praying a very simple prayer very dangerous prayer but a very simple prayer and that simple prayer is simply this god use me god use me somehow some way some way different and you're sitting here thinking, and I can see some of your eyes right now. You're saying, Kurt, but I'm 90 years old. I'm 80 years old. I'm whatever. God can still use you. So I'm going to go back to where we started. I don't know if I can do this or not, but if this was somebody's last day, or if you knew tomorrow was somebody's last day, what would we be willing to do? What would we be willing to do to change their forever it still breaks my heart. No, and I'm going to a visitation and funeral Monday and Tuesday for a 25-year-old young lady. And a lot of me is saying, I'm glad I have no part of it because I just want to go and be with grandmas and grandpa. But what are we willing to do, folks? Are we willing to step up? Are we willing to step out? Are we willing to trust God to do what he needs to do? As I came home last night, hour and a half drive, which is great because I needed it to kind of decompress. But I drove back through Perrysville. No big deal. I've driven through Perrysville many times. But then I got to think about the kids I pick up on Wednesday night. No big deal. I got to think in the houses they live in. Tracy knows exactly what I'm talking about. I see the trailers they live in. And I wonder, yeah, we pick them up for Wednesday night. I want to pick them up for Sunday, and that's, that's part of my plan. It's not enough. We don't know them. We don't know their families. We don't know what they truly need. We don't know exactly where they're at. And I'm struggling knowing, okay, God, can I do this? Is there something we need to do more? And you're probably seeing there Kurt, you're nuts, and maybe I am. I won't be the first moron who ever stood in a pulpit and didn't know what to do next. But there's a difference in not knowing what to do and not doing it. I don't know what to do, folks. But I know there's something we have to do. I'm standing here, right here, right now, telling you from my heart, I am willing to do anything and everything to get to know them. And here's the other part of that. If we're not willing to get up, get out of our comfortable pews, get out of the heated and the air conditioning, do things we've never done before, do things different than we may have done before, and try to reach people for Christ, get to know people who need to know the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, if we're not willing to step up and do that, you don't need me. You don't need me standing up here Sunday after Sunday. You can sing a few songs. You can put a little video up. You can go home, go on with your week. You don't need me. But if we're willing to do that, and here's my challenge. I did this at Hayworth. I challenged him to make me so busy calling on new people, talking to people about their faith, talking about people coming to know Jesus Christ and what they needed to do. You made me so busy that I couldn't stand it. And at one point, Hayworth was at that point. If we're willing to do that, then I think we're willing to say, I would do anything if I knew somebody's tomorrow was their last day. What about you guys? What about us? See, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm wrong. I don't know. If I am, I'll, I'll admit it. That's no big deal. But if I'm not, if I'm not wrong, somebody's forever will be changed if we do.